welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this week's episode of the People, Places, Planet Podcast. I am your host, Georgia Ray. Today I have two guests. Sandy Chom, Associate Vice President of Research and Policy and Head of the Judicial Education Program here at ELI, and Jay Pendergrass, Vice President of Programs and Publications, also at ELI. Today, Jay and Sandy will talk with me about 2022 at the Environmental Law Institute, with a particular eye towards what has been accomplished in the Research and Policy Division. Both Jay and Sandy have been at ELI for many years, allowing a comparative perspective when discussing this year. We will talk about our technology and innovation lab and its new lead, celebrate the pro bono clearinghouse's upcoming one-year anniversary, highlight international work from Zimbabwe to Peru, and speak on our hallmark judicial education project. Finally, we will look towards 2023. There are many exciting projects on the horizon for ELI. Pay attention. Who knows? Maybe one of the projects mentioned here today will one day have a podcast episode of its own. Jay and Sandy, thank you for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to join you. Hi, Georgia. Now, I know I said this episode would mainly be focused on the research and policy division, but I think we would be remiss not to start with a pretty big institutional change this year, a new president. Jordan Diamond rejoined ELI New Year's Day 2022, so she just celebrated her anniversary. What has she overseen this year, and are there any changes you two have noticed under this new leadership? I'll start with, I think the transition was pretty seamless. As, as you note, Jordan had been at ELI before as uh, both the environmental law fellow and staff attorney, but coming in it as a completely different position, thought it went very smoothly. She is planning to start a new strategic plan for ELI. It I think she has already demonstrated that she has an interest in increasing the visibility of ELI to the environmental law and policy world and has spearheaded looking for a communications director to help us improve our external communications. Having Jordan here has been just really a fantastic experience over this past year. She's already demonstrated such a powerful ability to identify institutional priorities and support their development. I'll speak from personal experience in her support of the Climate Judiciary Project. Her ability to understand the nuances of the project and help us with the outreach and talking to constituents and building the project and leveraging it to further expand our climate work has been incredible. And I'm seeing her do that across the organization, including in the key area of environmental justice and focusing in particular on how communities can participate in decision-making that affects them. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that from an institutional standpoint as well, that shifting focus, and I agree that it's really great. I was planning to ask this later in the episode, but since you just alluded to it, Sandy, the Climate Judiciary Project, do you want to talk a little bit about it and what's happened in that area this year? Thanks, Georgia. I always am happy to talk about the Climate Judiciary Project because it's so exciting and rewarding. Climate Judiciary Project builds on ELI's over 30 years of experience providing neutral education to judges on topics related to the environment and environmental law. 
Jay Pendergrass led this effort for most of that time. And I learned, I learned from him about the importance of being neutral and how to engage with judges on sometimes controversial topics. The Clement Judiciary Project is a little different from our previous work because it's focusing on science of climate change rather than leading with the law. So we are collaborating with scientists, climate scientists, to, to perform this education. And this is what my co-lead of the project, Paul Hanley, brings to the project is the relationship with the climate scientists. Our climate judiciary project is building a network of judges and scientists meeting the judiciary's need for a basic familiarity with current climate science to keep pace with climate issues that are emerging more and more in courtrooms and the law. We develop education programs, are producing a one-of-a-kind curriculum on climate science for judges, and we deliver presentations and seminars. We have already trained over 800 judges. And there's a really exciting aspect of this work that we started in, in 2022 that I'd love to briefly mention. Our Judicial Leaders in Climate Science is a strategy for really scaling the project. We're working with 23 state judges from across the country to educate them about climate science and the law. And they have completed the training and are now out there working with their colleagues to advance climate science education. That sounds great. Thank you for that briefing on that initiative. And now I guess I want to zoom back a little bit to this discussion of anniversaries. I mentioned Jordan Diamond's anniversary. And another anniversary we're celebrating is that of the Pro Bono Clearinghouse. So for our audience that might not know, what exactly is the Clearinghouse and how can people be involved? Thanks, George. Pro Bono Clearinghouse is an effort that ELI started. It went online February 14, 2022. So as you said, anniversary is coming up. This is our effort to connect attorneys with communities in need of pro bono legal assistance. The Clearinghouse works by going to our website where if you are an attorney, you can sign up. And if you're a law clinic, you can sign up. And if there are matters that a uh, law school law clinic is not able to handle due to um, lack of staff or any other reason, they can post a description of that matter uh, on the website. A community that has a matter can, at this point, do, they don't post them directly. They can go to one of our non-governmental organization partners or a law clinic, describe the matter and get it posted. And uh, the Clearinghouse then allows the attorneys to review the matters that communities have listed and contact them to say, you know, this is something that I think I'm qualified and interested in helping. So the Clearinghouse provides a way for communities to describe what their needs are and attorneys to review them and decide if they can help. ELI does not actively match attorneys and matters and makes no claims or assurances about either the attorneys or the matters. But we are trying to serve a need that had been expressed both by some of our community partners and NGOs and by attorney members. I'm just thrilled that ELI is able to fill this niche. 
And it's been very exciting watching Christine Perry really build the clearinghouse up over the past year, developing relationships both with the communities and the pro bono attorneys who are contributing their time. I completely agree with you there, Sandy. It's been really cool to watch Christine work on that. And another person I want to highlight who's actually more new to the organization is Simone Baldwin. And she's the head of our tech and innovation lab, as you both well know. She's only been here four months, but she's already been up to a lot. Can you tell our listeners a little more about her work? Thanks, Georgia. As you you mentioned, Simone Baldwin is the uh, relatively new head of our uh, technology and innovation lab. And I was just on a call with her today where she is managing a group that is uh, it's a group of, of experts that are looking into whether it would make sense to establish a fellowship program for several of the federal government agencies that have responsibilities for regulating biotechnology and, and particular products that are uh, starting to be uh, manufactured through the biotechnology uh, processes. This is relatively cutting edge technology and Simone is the staff person for this expert panel that are going through a a number of issues about how to improve the uh, expertise, but also of, of federal agencies at the same time that there's a need to educate people that are are working on the technology about the regulatory systems. Simone has really taken this program by storm. It's been fascinating watching uh, her take on the various topics that are addressed by our tech and innovation program. And one that's, that's really interesting and exciting is our green tech initiative with ELI's board. The reason for this initiative is that regulators and innovators often don't talk to each other, and that results in important technological innovations that never get to market. So our program brings together these two different groups in order to advance conversations and uh, enable further developments. So building on the work that Green Tech has done over the past couple of years, they are focusing on a real concrete and, and timely topic of how the Inflation Reduction Act is affecting regulation of technology. And this is fascinating because the Inflation Reduction Act is so powerfully affecting climate response in our country. So it's critical to understand the changing policy and regulatory landscape. Yes, thank you both for your thoughts on the Tech and Innovation Lab. As somebody who's also involved with the Tech and Innovation Lab, I would love to highlight a couple other things that has been, have been going on over there. We have been ELI, that is, a great convener in the Network for Digital Economy and the Environment this year that's brought together researchers around the world talking about you know, digital technology and how it's changing not only the world, but specifically the environment and focusing on that from a very sustainable lens. And there's also a report that came out about artificial intelligent technology to better monitor emissions. And this is a shameless plug for another podcast episode that we did called Artificial Intelligence for Environmental Compliance. That's We'll dive into the details there if people are more interested in exploring that. So now I want to move us on to our rapid fire round. I'm going to give you the name of a project or report, 
And if one of you can give me a quick couple sentence description of what has happened with that area of research this year. So the first one is indoor air quality. ELI has had been hosting a indoor air quality workshop uh, since 1998, held this workshop in March of 22. It brings together local, state, and federal public health officials who are working on indoor air quality issues. ELI also maintains a database on state laws and issue reports uh, on specific uh, indoor air quality issues, several of which have been among the most downloaded ELI reports in 2022. And next we have a report called Environmental Justice and Renewable Energy and Storage. This is a report that Jim McElfish, senior attorney, and Lisa Torres Soto completed last year for the Electric Power Research Institute as a, and it, the report is a guide for utility companies to identify environmental justice issues when they're developing renewable energy and battery storage facilities. It, the uh, project resulted in recommendations for uh, an approach that utilities could take to identify both relevant communities uh, and engage with the concerns that those communities might have related to health, social issues, other things coming out of uh, when there's a plan to develop renewable energy and battery storage projects. Next, we have another report, and that is actually one that you and I worked on together a little bit, Sandy, and it's the corruption in artisanal and small-scale mining in Peru. That's not actually the full title as it was written in Spanish, but that's a rough translation in English. Exactly. And I miss working with you. It was fun working, engaging with you regularly when we were working on a daily basis with the partners in Peru on this really challenging sustainable development issue of how to not only pre prevent unnecessary environmental impacts from gold mining and other mining in Peru, but how to ensure that the country is actually getting the development benefits through the revenue and how to reduce corruption in that complicated supply chain system. You, you made this fabulous visual that boiled down the, the complicated supply chain and really helped advance our understanding of this complex area. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, okay, next I'm going to go to a program, and that's the OCEAN program. This year, ELI's OCEAN program made big developments, both in its sustainable small-scale fisheries work, as well as its work on regulating environmental impacts on the high seas. The team expanded their small-scale fisheries work to a partnership with the Pacific community, helping develop model regulations and guidance to support the tiny island states of that region to regulate their small-scale fisheries. In terms of the high seas and environmental impacts issues, our work on beyond national jurisdiction and environmental impact continued, and we were uh, lucky enough to present at the UN Oceans Conference on this work in June in Lisbon. And the last one in our rapid fire round is the Africa program. And in particular, if you could talk about the work we've done in Zimbabwe this year. Yeah, the Africa program headed by 
Jess Troll and with the assistance of uh, Ellie Beckerman was produced a report with partners in Zimbabwe and the International Water Management uh, Institute that looked at successful partnerships for multiple use water service in Zimbabwe. The report analyzed the legal and institutional landscape of water rights in Zimbabwe and uh, provided recommendations for various stakeholders, including national water sector agencies, international aid organizations, and non-governmental organizations implementing water projects to better realize clean and effective multiple-use water services in Zimbabwe. As a side note, it's a very good example of one of the typical ways that ELI works. We're working in a specific location, Zimbabwe, and so engaged with experts on water issues in Zimbabwe, uh, Zimbabwean nationals to finish the project. Great job, both of you. That is the end of the rapid fire round. So now we can slow the pace a little bit more. And I want to talk about our wetlands program. So we're about to enter the buildup for our National Wetlands Award, which we host every year. But besides the National Wetlands Awards, what else has the wetlands team been up to this year? Well, we've, we are involved in a lot of wetlands issues, a number of projects that are ongoing, but one that we finished in 22 was a project that looked at the at state's protection of waters that are not protected under the uh, waters of the U.S. definition that receive federal protections. Last year's project actually updated information that ELI had uh, produced uh, a number of years ago, and the, the project resulted in a publication by Jim McElfish in the September issue of the Environmental Law Reporter that, that uh, detailed what laws states have to protect waters that are not covered by the federal protections, as well as what states do not have such additional protections. And this is another great time for me to shamelessly plug a different episode of the podcast. We talked to Jim about that work in an episode called State Protection of Non-Federal Waters. So again, if you're more interested in that topic, please go check that episode out. Another event we're gearing up for is the convening ELI does each year of water professionals in our CWA 303D conference. This is an initiative that also puts out colloquia discussing how states, tribes, and territories respond to challenges in implementing the Clean Water Act. What's new with that program? The Clean Water Act 303D conference that we do every year always features some new aspects and has the wonderful feature of working with the same experts in the states and at EPA over the years. And our position facilitating and supporting that project enables important relationships that advance the implementation of the Clean Water Act in such an important way. This year, as one phase of funding was drawing to a close, we were able to take stock and document all that states across the country are doing in relation to two critical topics and their Clean Water Act 303D programs about water quality, focusing in on what states are doing related to climate change and environmental justice. Adam Shemp has 
masterfully continued this work and really built it into from more of a routine project doing an annual conference into an important area of work supporting cross-cutting advancements on climate change and environmental justice. Well, that is the last question I had looking back on the year. I know we've covered a lot, but our listeners might be surprised to know that honestly, there's a lot more that ELI is doing as well. So feel free to check out our website and our reports page for some of the other work that we've accomplished in 2022. And as we wrap up the episode here, I know we've alluded to some future work already, but I wanted to ask explicitly, what does 2023 hold for ELI and what are you both most excited about? We're always most excited about working with our partners on cutting edge issues in environmental law and policy. We have uh, a number of things that I think are going to be happening soon. Um, One is that we have been working on the second edition of the Environmental Rule of Law Report with the United Nations Environment Program, and that will be published early this year. We're also As we talked about the indoor air quality program, that program will be issuing a report on uh, school ventilation, return to one of the themes that Toby Bernstein, head of the indoor air quality program, has had over the years of uh, indoor air quality in schools. So look for that report early in the year as well. We are working in the sustainable fisheries area with people in Belize, with communities to help them determine the direction for um, fisheries management in, in Belize. 2023 looks to be a year where ELI's contribution of catalyzing and enabling the intended impact of environmental laws and policies becomes even more critical as our society is responding to climate change and social justice concerns. We talked earlier about the upcoming green tech program, looking at how the Inflation Reduction Act is affecting regulation of technology. Also thinking about the Climate Judiciary Project as another project helping decision makers to understand and best apply the law in the context that our society is facing. One thing in particular I'm looking forward to over the coming year is to see where the network of judges that we've built through the Climate Judiciary Project takes the initiatives in their states. As I mentioned earlier, we have judges in 23 states and Puerto Rico now developing their own education programs and seeing their commitment and engagement on this critical topic so validating and inspiring, and I really look forward to seeing where they take it this year. 2023 looks to be a year where there will be more and more need for enabling that kind of reasoned and fact-based application of environmental law. I couldn't agree more, and I'm excited to work alongside you both in 2023 on those goals. So thank you for joining me today. It was really fun to look back at the last year together. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you, so please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at eli.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, 
please visit our website at www.eli.org.